Well, praise ye the Lord. It's Palm Sunday. It's the day of triumphant entry. Amen in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Good. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord and in the company of God's saints. Uh, we thank the Lord for his tremendous grace in our life and also for just the privilege of being here with you today at a faith Christian center and also the privilege he's given unto us to be uh, in the New England area again. We had a tremendous time uh, with the men of God yesterday. They acted up a little bit, but we think that, uh, uh, that, that God's going to really do some great things in our lives. And we tried to arm them with some knowledge that will help them to give the devil fits. Amen. And also help to build our homes together. And uh, we honor the Lord for your great leadership. And why don't you just thank the Lord for your leadership that you have here. Pastor John and Anita, and pastoral staff and the elders and board of directors of this fine church. I greet you on behalf of our local church, Raymond Christian Center in Columbus, Ohio. And they're in worship right now. I sent my preachers a text this morning and told them, uh, preach the word and give them heaven. Amen. In Jesus name. And so uh, we're believing God that he's going to do some great things in the midst of us today because he's the mighty God. And it's so good to see so many familiar faces and new faces. And I just trust from the nursery all the way up to the elderly, relevant ministry will take place in this place this week in Jesus' name. Well, I'm on assignment, but before I get on my assignment, I would like to introduce to you the most beautiful woman in the land. This is my wife, Teresa. And the word says, he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor of the Lord. I would like to introduce you to my favor. Amen. That brings favor into my life. Teresa, why don't you stand up? This is Teresa Ann Scales. Okay. We got married in 1974. Somebody said, wow. <laughs> 23 years old, knew we knew what we were doing. Amen. And here we are now. I just turned 65 on February 24th. And so our church gave me a big old surprise. And uh, the children, I mentioned to the men, gave me a big bag. All the children worked for two weeks to make personalized birthday cards. Our youth uh, gave me cards uh, from, from their department. The youth pastor made them put some money in theirs. Amen. Thank the Lord for a good youth pastor. Amen. And then uh, all the adults chimed in. And uh, one card in particular got my attention as I was sitting at my dining room table opening up envelopes. And this card said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then when I opened it up, it said, hmm, when we see each other again, maybe you can tell me what it was like back then. <laughs> and then they signed it. <laughs> so um, last Sunday, I had a long conversation with one of uh, my Christians in action. Amen. And... Uh, and I told him I got a good chuckle and a laugh out of that one. Amen. I'm 65, but I'm not that old. Okay. Let's pray together, and then we're going to get into the Word of God and into the assignment that I believe the Lord has for us this week. Father, 
We thank you for all the privileges of being in the body of Christ and in the kingdom of God. It's in you that we live, move, and have our being. And even as we prepare to share in the word, I pray that you would give my lips the ability to utter your truth. Teach us your ways, O Lord, so that we can walk in your truth. Give us an understanding heart so that we can follow you. And not only give us a voice for this sanctuary and for this church and all the services this week, but for the region as uh, people here. On the radio today, Father, and as people come and they hear announcements, uh, Father, help us to be able to understand the times and know what we ought to do. We give you thanksgiving for everything that you've called us to do, and we bless you for it now in Jesus' name. Father, save anyone that's lost, reclaim anyone that's backslidden, and then add to the church those who will be saved and added to the church in Jesus' name. All God's people say it. Amen. Open your Bibles today to Mark chapter 16 and find verse number 15, Mark 16, 15. Now, Mark is the uh, earliest of all of our gospels. Mark uh, is the earliest of all of our gospels. Mark was not one of the original disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, but many of us who have read through the Bible know that at the end of the ministry, of Peter, he writes two letters, and one of the statements is, Mark, my son, is with me. Many of us will remember John Mark, who went on an apostolic mission there with Paul and Barnabas, and on the first time, he was a young man, it was too tedious for him, and he quit. Mark then causes the first church split in the book of Acts, because Barnabas and Paul are a missionary team. When they go on their second missionary journey, Barnabas wants to go back and get John Mark. However, Paul says, no, he quit. And they have a dispute and Paul finds another prophet whose name is Silas. And that apostolic and prophetic team, apostle and prophet, Paul and Silas go on to a missionary journey. And then Barnabas takes John Mark. Somehow he locates him and takes him to be with Peter. And the scholars and church historians tell us that John Mark listened very carefully to the accounts of Christ that Peter gave him and wrote them down very carefully. And from that writing, we get the gospel of Mark. Mark is a very rapid, fast moving gospel. In fact, the key words in this gospel are suddenly and immediately. We see Jesus in perpetual motion and he's doing things quickly and suddenly. We see him doing miracles. Mark is not so concerned about the genealogy of Jesus like Matthew and Luke were, but Mark is more concerned about the action and the ministry of this servant of God. We find Jesus doing more miracles as he went. And that's another term that we see. And as he went and immediately he went. And as Jesus was on the go, signs and wonders and miracles took place. And many times we as a church today, we want to get the miracles that Jesus got, but we don't want to do the things that Jesus did because what Jesus did was he went. He went out into the community. He went out and he lived life among people. 
When Jesus went out, not only did he do signs and wonders and miracles, but he has to confront different groups. In the beginning of the book of Mark, about the first uh, quarter of the book, he has to confront uh, critics. People begin to immediately criticize what he's doing, how he's doing it, and when he's doing it, especially when he does stuff on the Sabbath. Then he has to uh, confront his uh, betrayers and Judas then betrays him and prepares to betray him. And all of us who are going to walk with Jesus, our leader, have to deal with betrayal. Jesus then has to confront not only his critics and his betrayers, but then he has to confront his accusers. And that's after his arrest during the time of his passion, the time that we are in right now between Palm Sunday and between Resurrection Week. He had to confront his accusers, people that made up stories and lied on him, called him a blasphemer, said that he did things he did not do. Then Jesus had to deal with his tormentors, actually those who nailed him to the cross and crucified him. And finally, Jesus had to deal with his father, as he said, into thy hand, I commend my spirit. And then Jesus dealt in his post-resurrection account with the women that came first. All of the gospels agree that the women came first. Oh, I can't get any amens, okay? And the men didn't believe that he was risen. But you know how women are. After a while, they persuaded them that he had risen. And then Jesus came back, and the first thing he says to the men is a rebuke. He rebuked them for their unbelief. And as he rebukes them for his unbelief, he said, but I'm not going to end my post-resurrection experience with you with a rebuke. We come now to Mark 16, 15. He says, go, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that believes not shall be condemned. Mark 16, 15 and 16, now 17. And these signs shall follow those that believe in my name. They shall cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues. Uh, they will take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover the word of the Lord. This is uh, the second commission that we read in our Bible. First one read is in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 18 and 19, where Jesus tells them to go to the nations and make disciples. And I believe that the church is not big enough until we go to every person of every race, of every nation in all the world. We are to go to the ethnos and preach the gospel. But secondly, he says you're to go into the world. And I believe going into the world is the word cosmos, and that is the orderly arrangement of things. Wherever man is, man arranges systems. And it's kind of interesting when man arranges these systems. Man arranges these systems for the orderliness of his community. In the systems that man arranges, there are usually seven systems that man arranges. These seven systems are A, B, C, D, E, F, G, arts and entertainment. Usually there's business, then there's congregations, there's direct media, there's education, there are family systems, and then there are governmental systems. These seven systems that man arranges. And Jesus says... Go into the world, go into arts and entertainment, go into business, go into congregations, go into direct media, go into education, go into families, go into government 
and preach the gospel to every creature. You see, these systems are where people are. And we work in these systems and we play in these systems and we move in and out and interact in these systems for goods and services. And Jesus says, not only go to the nation across the water, but he also says, go across the street. Invade these systems. And when you read the book of Acts, you'll see a progressive gospel that is going to the nations. And then when Paul enters into spreading the gospel, he begins to not only invade the nations, but invade these seven systems of arts and entertainment, business, congregations, direct media, education, family, and even government. We are to go into the world. The great evangelical Pentecostal debate is many times, should we feed them or should Should we minister to them and should we do social programs that give people food and clothing or should we just go ahead and just preach the gospel to people? The greater debate then is are we supposed to just preach the good news to the poor or are we to speak up in systems for things that are unjust and anti-Christian and anti-Christ? I believe that when we go into these systems, God wants us to go into the world to change this world. Now, I think that is important for us to understand if we're going to do this and not only between Palm Sunday and between Resurrection Sunday and we pray for the sick uh, and we pray for those that are lost. I believe it's also important for us to understand the current context that we dwell in in the church, because in the church globally, the church and the world that we live in has changed. And if you will, if I can take for just a few moments, not to review all of these systems because we don't have time, I would like to lift up at least four of these systems, and that is the political system, the economic system, uh, the social systems, and the technological, and and also the uh, environmental systems that have changed on our watch. You know, the landscape of the world has been pretty much the same for the last 70 years uh, since World War II. But over the over the last seven decades, the world's landscape and the power in the world has kind of been equally distributed between post-World War II allied forces. But over the last few years, the landscape and the world map has changed. And I believe that one of the most important things for people to do is understand their context. Politically, we see the rise of China on our east. They are now the first non-Western power in 70 years that says, I want to have something to say with what goes on in the world. China, as a non-Western power, many of us who are looking at the world map now, has now made heavy investment throughout the entire African continent because Africa is mineral rich. And yet because of colonialization and then very much revolution and liberation movements that have happened there, many nations around the world have exhausted, they believe, their resources. And Africa will probably be the next place of the next wars in the next uh, few years over mineral rights. It's happening in Congo now because of cell phone and there's a mineral there that needs to go to make the substance that makes cell phones work. And now it's happening with diamonds. It's happening with gold. It's happening with oil. And China is heavily invested in Africa. They have heavily lend money to the United States. They are all through the Caribbean as well as through Central America. And yet China is afraid. They're afraid because their borders are not so. 
secure. They're afraid that insurrection might rise up at any time. And China is afraid. And right now, economically on a global system, when China has a hiccup, the world feels it in their belly. We live in a world now where there is now what's called global jihad. At one time, wars took place uh, throughout the world for territory. And many times for and many times there was a wars that took place for the expansion of certain imperialist ideals. But this is the first time on world history where really there is a movement taking place that is taking place over religious ideology. Global Islamic imperialism. Now, I think it's important for us to understand not every Muslim is an imperialist. But I think it's also important to understand that in northern Africa, you have Boko Haram. Around Israel, you have Hezbollah. In the east, in the far east over there, you have Al-Qaeda. And now in Syria, you have the ISIS state, the, the Islamic state. And I think that it's important for us to understand that the war is now over ideology, not territory. Who is going to rule the world with its ideals? And that's why it's important to invest in this millennial generation to make sure they're solid in their faith. Because we are having a change on the world political map. Israel has now emerged as a great world spokesman. And yet Israel is surrounded by enemies on every side. They have Iraq in the northeast. They have Syria in the northeast. There's a royal Heshemite kingdom of Jordan in the west. Uh, there's also Saudi Arabia. And there's also Egypt as well as Lebanon. They're surrounded. And yet at the same time, Israel has become a force to be reckoned with in the earth. And people are looking. Russia is making major investment in Israel right now. And so is China making major investment in Israel right now. And yet we see the stability in the eyes of the world seems to still look towards the Middle East. Russia is afraid. And that's why you see on the global map when he says go into the world, we need to understand the world that he calls us to. Russia is afraid. They're afraid of the United States bombing them over the top from the north. They're afraid from China and Korea from the east. They are afraid from the Muslim onslaught from the south. And they're afraid of NATO from, the, uh, from, from their west. So there's prayer. And fear brings torment. And when leaders are tormented and promote fear among their people, they start going into conflict and into war. I've determined as a Christian in the rest of the world, I'm not going to walk around in fear. Thank you for your silent amens. I said, I've determined that I'm not going to walk around in fear for the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I still believe Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. Unless the Lord keeps the city, the watchmen watch in vain. You can put all the guards, all the walls, everything else you want, but unless the Lord's watching, it is all going to fall down. We need a church in the West that is willing to call upon the name of the Lord and go into the world economically. We see that wealthy people right now are afraid. They feel like their wealth is being threatened and tampered with. The wealthy feel like they're under attack and the wealthy feel like they have a need to protect their wealth. 
even though during the economic downturn, all the economic studies has showed us that the wealthy did well during the economic downturn for the most part. Large generalization, broad stroke, but most did well. We have found out among economics that, that the distribution of public funds is now being argument. It seems like there's not enough money for social programs to feed people, clothe people, house people, and take care of people. But there seems to be enough war for the arms race and for war. And there seems to be a big argument over getting rid of things that help people that are being called entitlements. But there seems to be enough money to develop a nuclear, no, 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 a missile that flies faster than the speed of sound. And that's under development right now. And if it flies faster than the speed of sound, that means our radars can't pick it up. So there seems to be enough money for war and war development of weapons, but not enough money to help people. When we look at the economics, it seems like we're going to see a collapse of certain uh, currencies. There's 200 currencies currently in the world around that amount. About 160 of those currencies of the 200 are, have no value outside their country. I went to Indonesia, ministered in Jakarta a few years ago, and I went and I got a $50 bill exchange. I didn't know that the rupee gives you about 10,000 rupee for every $50. They gave me a stack of money this high. I, I tried to stop them. I said, no, I don't need that much. They said, well, you said $50 because a lot of the world economy is not good outside of their borders. Probably the British pound, the euro and the U.S. dollar will last throughout this economic downturn. But you and I need to be aware that people are going to be looking for resource socially. We need to understand that social media is not going away. For those of you who do not use social media, you and I will be obsolete. Even grandma is texting now. <laughs> Nudge your neighbor and say, you better get with it, okay? Go ahead. It's not over the last 10 years, the last decade, it has changed the face and the conversation. And now many people are sitting down, going in all the world and saying, how can we use this great tool in these new communities to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? And Jesus told us to go into all the world. You need to understand socially, there's also new conversation about a third sex option. It used to be 10 years ago when we went to the world, we ministered to males and females. But now there's many community conversations. I go to community forums as a minister to represent our church in those community forums. And there's now a third sex option that is being debated. Because now with sexual re-identification surgery... And now also people just being able to self-identify. You can start school in the fall as a man, self-identify as a girl by Christmas, put on a dress in January and nobody can say anything. Okay, thank you for your silence. You're overwhelming me with your enthusiasm. This is the world Jesus told us to go into. This third gender conversation, I think is very, very important for us to understand. But not only is it a third gender conversation, there is now what's called the soft drug 
conversation. My state had an, uh, had an initiative to legalize marijuana. Some of my African-American brothers uh, who are pastors wanted to see it because they thought if the marijuana laws got uh, changed, then this war on drugs that incarcerated a significant amount of African-American men who were nonviolent, sent them to jail because the law and judges have to enforce the law said so could get out. But what would that mean to our society as we begin to uh, legalize things like marijuana? What would that mean? Now, I know people say, well, it's for uh, medicinal use. Yeah, all right. <laughs> and I found out in my church, we have different kinds of saints in Columbus. I said, why don't you use marijuana? They said, because it's illegal. And I said, and what happens when it becomes legal? And some of them said, well... And so we're going to also have to struggle with just because it's legal, is it righteous? And this is the world Jesus is sending us into. There's also the conversations on euthanasia, which is help in the death process. And friends, it's a hot topic among seminarians and Bible school students because this generation are emerging adults that are be, that are called millenniums. This is a group between 13 and 30. This group, 13 to 32, it changes in various polls. They are emerging and they're asking, what can we do? Education is moving to the electronics. There's women's rights issues that we have to deal on this forefront. There's the whole issue of the refugee challenge that we are facing. There are 1.5 million refugees trying to get into Europe right now. And then finally, we have to deal with the technological and environmental world that we're entering into. You see, environmentally, Pope Francis, when he came to the United States, talked about caring for the environment. Finally, our president, our, our, currently our president has been talking about that issue. But people are saying, is there a responsibility for Christians to take care and be stewards over the earth that God gave us? We have gone to several forums, my youth pastor and I, uh, at universities in our, in, in, in our city that deal with environmental studies. And what they are saying, they say, we are surprised at the silence of the church over this thing called conservation. They are surprised at the church because some of them don't even believe our Bible. One chemist and one environmentalist told me at a university forum, they said, I don't even believe in your Bible, but I read the first chapters. You ought to read the first chapters of your Bible also. And it said, and your Bible says your God told you to take care of the earth. And yet we are not even engaged in the conversation. I found out through studies now there's enough food produced in the earth to feed everybody. There's not a food shortage. There's a distribution shortage. How do we get food that is prepared to people that are in need? And yet at the same time, there are countries that don't produce food. So Israel, because it's surrounded by salty water, has now developed desalinization systems. Desalinization systems are systems that take salt out of water. And now they've learned how to purify. Russia is buying some. A lot of your Muslim countries are buying those. And now some of the islands are buying those. So if you are an island surrounded by salt water with a desalinization process, you can purify waters and begin to grow crops. Genetically also, technologically, there are companies that are now beginning to produce seeds that will grow in salt water. Genetically 
altered seeds that will grow food in salt water. Now, the warning, listen, warning coming. The warning is when you start messing with natural food, I don't know how your body's going to identify that. Will it see it as nutrition? Will it see it as a bacteria? Will it see it as a foreign product inside the body? We have two worlds now struggling. A world, that one old world that is dying, and another world, the third world, and the underdeveloped world that is saying we're struggling to be born. The conversations I've engaged in in public forums now People are asking this question. The community's in a mess. Where is God? If there is a God, what is he doing? And the community is asking what in the world is going on? I found out in the community that there's fear. People are nervous and they're looking for answers. This is not foreign because there's a little scripture in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 16, having laid that short contextual foundation in Matthew 16, where Jesus is confronted by some leaders. They are called Pharisees and Sadducees. And in Matthew 16, 1 through uh, 3, it says this. In Matthew, it says, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees came unto him, testing him, and they asked him, show us a sign. And he answered in verse number two and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, how do you discern the face of the sky? But you cannot discern the signs of the times. Look also with a compatible scripture in Luke chapter 12 and verse 56, Luke 12, 56, because Luke picks up the same conversation that was going on with Jesus about the signs of the time. And Jesus in Luke chapter 12 and verse 56, it says this, it says, and he came. No, it says hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky. But how is it that you do not discern the time? Because the community right now, friends, is asking what in the world is going on and where is God in the midst of what's going on? I believe if there was ever an opportunity for the church to emerge with some answers, this is a time. But you and I need to know how to discern the times. So I come to you this week and I want to give you about 30 things that we need to discern during this time over the course of the week. About 30 things we need to discern. Now, you say discernment, what is that? Discernment is our ability to sift and to sort and to find out what's in operation. That's discernment. What's operating? You know, in the world, there's God. There are angels. There is humanity. And there is the devil and demons. And discernment is our uh, ability to sift and to sort and to find out what's really going on and what's in operation. When you and I go into the world, we need to discern the context in which we go and find out, is this God? Is this angel? Is this humanity? Is this demon? Or is this a corrupt world? Discernment. Discernment also means to reveal 
what's going on behind the scenes. And sometimes you and I need to look behind the curtain to find out what's really going on. Discern means to detect with something other than the eyes. Any of you in here that are parents, have you ever had your child who has been acting and behaving quite well, excelling in school, come to you and say, can I go out with my friends on Friday night? And all of a sudden you say, I don't think you need to go tonight. Okay, two of you on the front row. (laughs) There is no reason that they shouldn't go. You know their friends, you know their behavior, you know their choices. But somehow inside of you, there's something or someone that says you don't need to go out tonight. See, discernment is our ability to really detect with senses other than the eye. We keep our child home. We find out the car crash happened. We keep our child at home. We found out something that was illegal, immoral, unethical happened. We keep our child at home and they were avoided some tragedy that could have happened. Discernment is our ability to see with a sense other than the eyes. Discernment also means to recognize and also to understand the difference. Understand the difference between what's flesh and what's spirit and what's going on. Now, let's start. Some of the things I've determined by the spirit for this session that we need to discern is I believe that we need to sift and assort and to find out what's the operation and detect. One of the first things we need to discern how to answer people's questions. We need to discern when to answer and when not to answer. As you and I go into the community to do community service, as we go in to do mercy ministry, as we go in to do direct evangelism, you and I are going to get some questions. And look, Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 4. Find that within your Bible. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4. Uh, here he says in Proverbs, this is wisdom literature, and I love that. Now watch this. 26, verse 4 and 5, it says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly lest you be like him. But then verse five comes on and says, answer a fool according to his folly. Lest he be wise in his own eyes. So I had to ask the Holy Ghost, verse four, do I answer not the fool? Or verse five, do I answer the fool? Now, dead men won't learn or can't learn Fools won't learn. Dead men can't learn. Fools won't learn. And friends, as we go into the community, we are being posed now with some questions where people are seeking knowledge, though the question may seem foolish. And then there are other people who are posing questions that are foolish to confound the speaker or the presenter. And your discernment, like Jesus, I found out that sometime when Jesus got a foolish question, he would answer them with a question. And he would let them muse over his question. Sometime when Jesus got a foolish question, Jesus would stand and he would look at them and he would give them a parable and then say, when you have understanding of this, you'll get your answer. And then there was other times Jesus would just walk away. And would not answer their question, not because he did not know, but because he knew that the answer was obvious. Friends, you and I, as we go into public forums, 
as we go in the various places in our culture, we're going to run into foes and fools and enemies in public policy and in the church. And we have to ask God, how should I answer this question? People have gone through trauma and sometimes their question is not a foolish question, but it is a question that is detected in the heart as foolishness. And Jesus had to deal with the foolish as well as deal with those that were looking for knowledge. We need to discern when to answer and when not to answer a question. Many of you work in public policy and you and I need to be more swift to hear, slow to speak and slow to wrath. Sometimes silence is golden and sometimes it's just plain yellow. It is cowardice. So we need to know when to speak up and then when to hold our peace. Now, if I was in Columbus, I'd say when to speak up and when to shut up. But here, you need to know when to speak up and then when to hold your peace. Now, watch this. Secondly, I believe that we need to discern how we are hearing. Would you look in Luke chapter 8, uh, 6, or no, chapter 8 and verse 18, 818. And in Luke chapter 8 and verse number 18, it says, therefore, take heed how you hear. For whoever has to him more will be given. And whoever does not have even what he seems to have will be taken from him. Be careful. Take heed how you hear. Now watch this. How we hear second Peter chapter two and verse seven. Now add that one on second Peter two, seven and eight. It says about lot lot was in a culture that was speaking all kind of things that were anti-Christian anti God. And it said and lot and delivered righteous lot. He's talking about righteous lots deliverance from the city Sodom that he's in who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man, the parenthetical statement says, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day, seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. He was seeing it, that's an eyewitness, and also hearing it. We need to be careful how we hear. Now, why do we need to be careful why we hear? Have you listened to the news lately? Can't take too much of it, but one of the great revivalists said that we ought to preach with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Let me use this word, mass murder. Be careful how you hear. Isn't it interesting when a black person commits mass murder, they are called a thug and a criminal. Isn't it interesting when a white person commits mass murder, they have a mental health issue. Isn't it interesting when a Muslim creates mass murder, he's a terrorist. Be careful how you hear. Same acts Different nomenclature and terminology that provokes different human response. 
See, our belief system, how we hear our ear gate, will determine our actions. And our belief system is really shaped by our environment, credible people, listen to this, repetitious information, and also life experience. How do I put a filter on my ear so that I hear correctly, whether it's a black person, a white person, or a Muslim that marries, uh, that, that murders a lot of people, thou shalt not kill is what my filter says. You violated God's law. Whether you kill an individual, a family, or a group of people, it's murder. But we need to be careful how we hear. And friends, I want us to understand that our behavior and response to people is going to be based on our belief system and on our worldview. Let me pour it on my screen for a moment, okay? Everybody see my screen? I know this podium is away. Can you see the screen? Okay, now, I'm going to make on my screen a big mountain that comes like this. Big mountain, point at the top. And right about the upper fourth of my mountain, I'm going to put down a water line. So actually, this is not a mountain, it's an iceberg. And below the water line is the foundation of the iceberg. Above is a little piece that you see sticking up. Can, can you see that? Yeah. Pastor Ray, you see that up there? Okay, good. All right, good. Now, everybody sees my mountain with the water line. Now, on the, above the water line, I'm going to write down behavior. And actions. Okay, you see that? I need verbal response. I'm an African-American preacher and we're used to exchange, okay? Do you see that? Okay. Now, the way people act is what we see. And righteous Lot was tormented and vexed based on what he saw and heard. Now, what's below the waterline? Your actions come from, on the very base, your worldview. Write down worldview on the bottom of your base. Worldview. And Teresa is view, I, E, or E, I. E, I. Okay, let me erase this. Okay, good. I got it right now, okay? Excuse me. I'm bilingual and English is my second language, okay? So, so I got worldview, and so in my worldview, if you will, your worldview is the way you explain everything. How do you explain the existence of everything? And there's basically four major worldviews. We want to teach on worldviews this time. But your worldview shapes your values. And your values shape your belief system. And what you believe as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he is where your behavior comes from. So out of your worldview comes your values, comes your belief system, comes your behavior. And when people are giving us repetitious information, they're really trying to impact your worldview. That will help reshape your values. That will impact your belief system. That after a while, it's going to shape your behavior. And both our environment, our life experience, repetitious information from credible people will indeed shape our belief system. And you and I need to be careful these days, not only what we hear, but how we hear. 
We need to discern the voices that are speaking to us. Hear me well. We need to discern the difference between what's holy and what's profane. I'm saying we need to discern the standards of God again. Look at me. I'm going back to the law. Yes, I am. Go to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus is one of the books of worship in our Old Testament. Leviticus was the law and the standard of God for not only the priestly ministry, but also the community. And in Leviticus chapter 10, it says the Lord spoke to Aaron, who was the chief worship leader, priest. And it says, saying, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink you nor your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of the meeting. He says, lest you die. It says it shall be a statute forever throughout your generation. This is for the worship leaders, not for everybody, but for the worship leaders. When they went into the tabernacle meeting, it says that you may distinguish between holy and unholy and between clean and unclean that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. See, the worship leaders, those that put worship together from the parking lot all the way to the platform, I call all of us worship leaders. People ask me, who are your worship leaders? I say, well, they start with our gatekeepers in the parking lot. I say they move towards our greeters at the door. They move towards our ushers in the alleyway. Then I said, then they move through our musicians and our singers and our dancers and those that move in the arts. I say they move through our Sunday school teachers from the nursery all the way up to our teenagers. And they move through the preaching for we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And for those of us who lead the community in worship, honoring God, there needs to be a standard of what is holy and not holy, what is clean and what is not clean. You see, when Israel went into captivity because they did not make that distinction, God let them go into captivity. Ezekiel is called as a prophet in activity and he's called to confront the people with their lack of holding God's standard and then also speak the standard of the Lord again in captivity. Ezekiel is an exiled prophet. And in Ezekiel 22, as Ezekiel talks about how do we get in this big mess? He talks about how all these systems have failed. Ezekiel 22, verse 26, uh, he says this, my priest have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. They have hid their faces from my Sabbath. So I am profane among them. What happened was they did not hold the standard of the Lord. And I believe that God's law, God's word should be our standard and our constitution for belief and our standard for living. They profaned the Sabbath. They forgot that God gave everyone the fourth command, four days to work. No, six days to work. And then he said, and then the seventh day, take a day off. Lean on your neighbor and say, you deserve a break today. <laughs> tell them, tell them, you deserve a break. Everybody needs a day off. Now, remember, the fourth commandment is a working man or woman's commandment. If you're just goofing off, not doing anything, that command is not for you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. 
But if you're a working man or woman, whether you work at home or in the marketplace or in a ministry, he says, six days I've given you work. It takes great faith to work six days and then take a day and say, God, I'm going to believe you. I can get it all done in six days and I'm going to take a day and just rest. That commandment is a commandment to stop. Now, this is not legalism. It's just a principle. It's a commitment to cease from labor, unplug, disconnect, and stop. Sabbath. Cease from labor, unplug, disconnect, and stop. Now, say this with me. Cease from labor, labor. unplug, Unplug. disconnect, Disconnect. Stop. stop. That's what Sabbath is. Cease from labor, unplug, Disconnect. Stop. Cease from labor. Unplug. Disconnect. Stop. Every one of you need to find a day where you cease. You need to have a day in your week where you sleep until you get tired of sleeping. Sleep, roll over, beat the pillow, go back to sleep. You need to have one of those days during your week where you can refresh, renew, restore. It'll help your health. And it was a command. And we violate the standard of God. We burn out. We burn up. And in the Western culture, they will run you seven days a week, 18 hours a day. Chick-fil-A. Wanted to put a store in a mall in Atlanta and the mall told them all stores must be open seven days a week. And and, and Chick-fil-A's owner, Covey, came to them and he said, listen, we're not open on Sunday. We give Sunday off to our families, to our employees to worship with their families and to rest and to refresh. They said your store would not be in this mall if you're not open on Sunday. He said our store Wants to be in your mall, but we will not be open on Sunday. They went back and forth. Finally, he withdrew. The community found out that this big mall was going to be built in Atlanta and Chick-fil-A was not going to be in there. And the community rose up and said, if Chick-fil-A is not here, we're not coming. (laughs) Guess what? Chick-fil-A is in that mall right now and they're closed on Sunday. Somebody needs to hold the standard of God. And you and I as a church need to stop giving ground. Because we gave ground on, 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 on abortion. We gave ground on prayer in school. Now we're giving ground on our resurrection day where we come and celebrate the Lord's day. We need to take some ground back. And we need to hold to the standard of God. You and I will find ourselves having longer, better lives. When you get tired, you get mean. You ever get tired, then fatigued, then exhausted? And in the African-American community, we say stuff like this. Man, you're getting on my nerve. That means I'm tired. (laughs) And everything bothers you. But if you just get refreshed... Stuff that used to get on your nerve when you're tired, you just let it go. You just do this. And you don't get bothered with it. We need to discern 
between this about the standard of God. Listen, we need to discern when God is done and when God is not done. When he's done. Now listen, look at me in 1 Kings, 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. Ooh, that's a big old clock back here. Thank you. 1 Kings 19. I'm doing good. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. The word of God is eternal. It doesn't have to be everlasting. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Y'all ready? Good. First Kings chapter 19, verse number four. Now, this is a prophet who was a leader discerning the times. And, and listen, the prophet has now come and he's been on Mount Carmel and had a big showdown confrontation. And now the one that he has confronted has said she's going to take his life, Jezebel. That must have been a bad sister. The prophet then, in verse number four, it says, and he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he said, and he prayed that he might die and said, it is not enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my father's. This prophet's having a bad day. He's been, he's been in extended spiritual warfare. He's not at a day off and he thinks that God is done with him. There's some time in this season that we will have opportunity to quit. But you need to discern, is God done? If you and I ask that question, we will not become suicidal. If God is not done. When he's saying, God, take my life, God calls him out to the front of the cave. God gives him all kind of demonstrations. And then God says in 1 Kings 19, 15, could you look at that one? 19, 15, God says this to the prophet. And the Lord said to him, you go return your way. You can't die because I'm not finished. And the very fact that you breathing this morning means God's not finished with you. The very fact that you woke up this morning means God's not finished with you. The very fact that you're here clothed and in your right mind means God's not finished with you. And we need to know when God's done and when he's not done. And listen, then he said to him, you go return to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazel. And he says, and, uh, and he says, the king of over Syria, he says, and also you shall anoint Yehu and he of the son of Nimshi. And he says, for king of Israel and Elisha, the son of uh, Shaphat and Shaphat and he, the, at Abel Mehola. And he shall anoint, be anointed as a past, uh, as a prophet in your place. And whosoever escapes and whosoever escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. And then God reminds him, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, also whose knees have not bowed to Baal. And every month that has not kissed his, kissed him. What I find is that you can't quit because God's not done. 
And many of us can't quit because we have not anointed anybody after us. Until you have trained your replacement, you're not done. He said, there's a king over in Syria and there's a bunch of priests of Baal over here that need to be killed. He said, man, there's a bunch of folk in Israel that the king of Israel, the next king of Israel, he's going to kill. He said, and even Elisha, the prophet, he's going to hack some folk up too. And he says, and you can't quit because you're not done. Who is it that you're pouring your life into right now that if you quit, the job will not be done for them? And if God was woke you up this morning and put the Holy Spirit inside of you, that means there's still something else to do. When you get older, that doesn't mean that you stop ministry. That means that you do it in a different way. Man, you lay hands on folks. Abraham, when he was dying, he was leaning on his staff, brought all them boys in there, laid hands and prophesied over them. Paul writes Timothy his last letter. And he encourages him to hold fast to the faith, withstand persecution, withstand false doctrine. And then he says this to him. He said, the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. He said, I finished my course and I've kept the faith. And he said, and my life is being poured out as a drink offering. Friends, don't you quit before your time. Because there are lives in the balance. Somebody needs the anointing inside of you. Miles Monroe put it like this, die empty. Cheat the grave. When they lower your body into the grave, make sure there's nothing left in it because you poured it all out in the earth in somebody. When your body is laid in the grave, make sure the grave gets an empty shell. Then you can say, oh, grave, where's your victory? You got nothing but an empty shell. Oh, death, where is your sting? You got nothing but an empty shell. Because I poured it all out. It is finished. And this will help neutralize this suicidal spirit that is running rampant around the communities in the United States. You can't quit because God's not done. Let's cover our last one this morning. We need to discern the difference between our thoughts and his thoughts and our ways and his ways. Oh, God, help me. Isaiah chapter 55. In Isaiah 55, I believe that we understand that though we are having our minds renewed, that sometime we still have our own thoughts and our own ways. In Isaiah 55 and verse number uh, eight and nine, eight, and nine, Isaiah 55, it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. As a heaven is higher above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Friends, God has some thoughts. Listen to this little trilogy. Your thoughts determine your actions. Your actions determine your habits. Your habits determine your character. And your character determines your destiny. Thoughts, actions, habits, character, destiny. Look at our final scripture now, Psalm 103, about the ways of the Lord. Because in Psalm 103 and verse number seven, he's giving an overview, high level overview of Israel's history with God in Psalm 103. And in Psalm 103, I find in verse number seven, it says this, he made known his ways to Moses, but his acts to the children of Israel. Israel saw what God did did they saw his acts and his works but is but Moses knew his ways 
That is, he knew why God did it. I close with this final thought. We need to understand that the reason we need to know the ways of God, why does he do what he does? Everything that God does is motivated by love. God is love. He's always seeking man's highest good all the time. My wife and I and about 32 people went on a cruise, carnival cruise in February. We left on February 13th. Sunday, we were supposed to be at sea all day long, and we were, and it was February 14th, Valentine's Day. Now, my thought is we're on a cruise, but I got 32 people from our church. We're going to have a worship experience. So I have our, I have our director just kind of rent us a room, and so she rents us the lounge, and we say we're going to have a worship experience. We come down to the person's desk on Carnival and say, listen, we want to announce that there's going to be a Christian service on Sunday morning. They said, well, now we don't allow no proselyting on the ship. And I said, what you mean? And they said, well, you, 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 you can't be winning people. I mean, doing all that, all that kind of stuff on the ship. And I said, we Christians, man, that's what we do. And so I told all of our folks, see, when people push on me, I push back a little bit. I told all of our folks, when you sit down to dinner and with lunch with somebody, tell them we're going to have worship service on Sunday morning. We had 68 people in this worship service. We more than doubled our numbers. And listen, my thoughts are not his thoughts. My ways are not my ways. I thought we would just have our folks. 32 other people joined us. I took attendance, man. We had people that were there who were Catholic, that were Anglican, that were Southern Baptist. We had all kind of folks there with us. And on Valentine's Day, what do you preach? First Corinthians 13, love. We had all of our couples dressed in white. We told our couples, anybody that's there, half of our crews was married, half of it was single folks, told the ones that are married, if you want to renew your wedding vows on Valentine's Day out here on the high seas, I'll do a renewal wedding vows. I asked then after I finished preaching on love that I asked any couples that were in there, I said, if you want to renew your wedding vows, come on and join us. And a bunch of couples stood up and renewed their covenant of marriage. I'm thinking we're on a cruise and my thoughts are I'm on vacation. I'm not supposed to be doing this. I went on a cruise to get away from it. So here I am preaching. But let me tell you the ways of the Lord, because I know his ways that he's a God of love. One couple came up to me later on in the cruise and had said this to one of the ladies that invited them. They said, you know, your lady Mary invited us to your chapel. And they said, this was my wife and my farewell cruise. And both of them nodded. They said, we're already in divorce court, but we scheduled this cruise before we went for the divorce, paid for it, and we couldn't get a refund. So we were just going to do a farewell cruise. (laughs) We're in the same cabin. She's been doing her thing. I've been doing mine and said, and we were going to go home and complete our divorce. And then we came to your chapel. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And they said, and we listened to that message on love. And then you said, anybody who's not a part of our church who wants to renew your vows, you can join us. And he said, I looked at her and I said, you want to give it another shot? And she said, yeah, let's give it another shot. And he said, we stood up and renewed our vows. You never know what's going to happen when you follow the thoughts and the ways of the Lord. I want to close in prayer. I want to close in prayer today because I want us to sift and sort. 
between when we should answer and when we shouldn't. I want us to sift and sort and discern how we hear. I want us to sift and sort about the standard of God this week. I want us to discern when God is done and when he's not. I want us to discern his thoughts and our thoughts. And if you're here today, as I begin the prayer, and if you have not accepted the love of God, I'm here to tell you, he still loves you. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you today for your tremendous grace in our life. I thank you because you alone are God, and we praise you, and you alone are God, and we exalt you. We give thanks unto you because we know the landscape, but we need to discern the times. Oh, God, help us to discern the times and the seasons that we are in. And Father, help us to know what we ought to do like the sons of Issachar. God, would you help us this morning to know how to hear, how to answer? Would you give us your thoughts? We want the mind of Christ manifested in our renewal of the mind process. Now, Father, speak to us. Speak to us loud. Speak to us clear. And we give you thanksgiving for everything that you are and for everything that you do. To your name be the glory. To your name be the honor. And to your name be the praise.